Here we are. Pastor Duke was so gracious last Sunday to take the leap into our summer series. Uh, We're focusing our time and our attention this summer in a series we've entitled, Nope, That's Not in the Bible. Um, And and the reason, the method behind the madness really isn't too difficult to see. The challenge that we face being in this world but being called to not be of this world is, is a daily exercise of faith. The world we live in, the location, the people, the cultures, rules, and rhythms, they create this powerful force on our lives, and one that we often, if we're not not looking for, we don't even recognize it. We're just being carried along by the current, and one of the ways we can observe that reality is in the embrace of worldly wisdom, even even in our own hearts and in our own conversations. So our focus this summer is on phrases and statements that, although very popular, and very smooth sounding aren't actually reflective of biblical wisdom at all. In fact, they're, in most cases, they're like antithetical to the biblical truth. And we should point out that these statements are, are, are sometimes close to truth. They seem to make a lot of practical sense, and they rarely land you in hot water. And for all those reasons and more, we're prone to hang on to them, and we're prone to propagate them without examining whether or not Um, These things are true and good and accurate expressions of godly wisdom. But in fact, many of them don't represent or reflect biblical wisdom at all. And there is the issue. We should be able able to spot those things quickly. But far too often we're oblivious like the uh, proverbial frog in the kettle, slowly boiling ourselves to death. So this morning, we're going to look at a phrase that is quite popular. um, And I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here and see if we can make some sense of this. See, the phrase that I've chosen to work on this morning is the simple phrase that you have to do what makes you happy. When making decisions, when, when trying to figure out what's the next step, oftentimes we, we were told, well, you just need to follow your heart. You've got you've to do what will lead you to happiness. And this came home to me in a startling way a while back. I was talking with a couple whose, whose marriage was in trouble, and after time, one of the spouses had come to the conclusion that they didn't love the other and they wanted out. So both husband and wife agreed that there, were, there weren't necessarily biblical grounds for a divorce. There, there was nothing that we would look at and see as the point where they engaged in, in unfaithful behavior. But they were simply convinced that it wasn't going to work out. That they, they were just no longer in love and they wanted to try their hands at independence. Obviously, my role in that situation was to beg and to plead with them to not do this thing. And when processing this potential change, a Christian friend was brought into the loop. And the spouse who wanted to leave told the friend about the situation. And here, here would be a fabulous opportunity, right? An amazing opportunity for a a believer, a, a friend in Christ to come alongside and to support biblical wisdom to lead their friend to truth and righteousness. And after hearing the story, the friend said, well, you just need to do what's going to make you happy. Simply put, that is a load of garbage. That is the worst advice you could ever give to anybody, except for maybe when you're trying to figure out which toppings to put on your steward's Sunday. In that case, it might work for you. But that is no way to live life. That is no way to make decisions. That is no way to plot our course. So, this morning, we're going to spend a bit of time thinking thinking through that common piece of advice, 
considering its validity, validity and also its danger to us, and seeking if there's a better way, because I believe there is. Before we begin, let's just pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the great gifts you've given us in our church. We thank you for friends and family members and loved ones who gather week after week after week to sit under the teaching of your word and to hear godly wisdom. Lord, I pray that you'd protect us against the wisdom of this world, that we would uh, dig deep and, and um, submit ourselves to the authority of your word first and foremost. Help us to be able to spot these things that compete with our allegiance to you. And God, I pray for wisdom, even this morning. Help me to make a compelling case for a better way. And we ask, God, that you would meet us here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, before I jump in, I wanted to um, add another quick announcement. Um, you'll, you'll notice that Matt Turgeon wasn't with us this morning. That's because Matt and Nell are celebrating the birth of number five, um, Friday evening. Yes, that's a good thing. Friday evening, Eleanor Constance Turgeon arrived late, around 10.50, is that right? Um, and so mom and baby are both doing well, hoping to come home from the hospital soon. Um, Dean and Mary Claire appreciate your prayers. They're holding down the fort with the other four, and they look, they, they're doing swimmingly. They're, this is no, I mean, they handle goats and horses. They can deal with children. They're just fine. So, um, but we are rejoicing with Matt and Nell, and you can continue to pray for them. All right. A couple questions I'm going to ask and observations we're going to make about that simple phrase. We just got to do what makes you happy. First is this, is there a nugget of truth in this? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. We, we need some way to filter the options that are presented to us. We need, we need some way to help us make a decision in our steps. We, we suffer from a paralysis due to so many options in front of us. I would, I would argue that more than any generation in human history, we have options at our disposal. You know, just think about the idea of dessert. 200 years ago, if you wanted dessert, you'd probably eat whatever fruit was in your garden, right? I can waste an hour at Stewart's trying to figure out which, which gallon, of, half gallon, sorry, half gallon of ice cream to buy for my children or which four to buy for our family, which I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. There are times where I've walked home with two gallons of ice cream because I couldn't make a decision, right? We have more options at our disposal. We need some way to help with making those decisions. We are faced with decision points every day. And sometimes the consequences are limited, they're insignificant, like, like which flavor of ice cream to buy or, or where are we gonna go to eat dinner? Which apparently you need some decision-making mechanism. If you're a married man, you know how this goes. Where do you want to go? I don't know, but you're gonna pick the wrong one, so just let them pick, right? Sometimes the consequences aren't significant, but sometimes they are. Where will I accept a job offer? Which home will I buy? Where will I attend college? Which spouse will I choose? Sometimes our decisions have enormous consequences. And when we're faced with those decision points, we need to have some way of determining what it is we'll do. It would be foolish of us to simply lick our fingers and see which way the wind is blowing and then just follow that way. We need to have some plan or mechanism for decision-making. 
But doing what makes us happy or just following our hearts doesn't actually address that issue. In fact, it just complicates the issue because following your heart and doing what makes you happy is essentially licking your finger and testing the wind. And why is that? It's because our hearts and our emotions, our sense of happiness, these are not good and reliable mechanisms for helping us to decide the proper response, response to each situation. Is there a nugget of truth? Maybe, but no. Secondly, there's a real problem with our hearts. And the problem is that they're unreliable. They are unpredictable. They're fickle little beasts. Emotions are as unpredictable as the weather in the Adirondack Park. Right? You might, be, you might be trekking along on a high peak thinking, wow, this is going to be a great day, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a thunderstorm. It's, it, your emotions are that unpredictable. And it seems like so many insignificant factors can have an impact on our emotions. If we're tired, if we're hungry, if we're angry or agitated, if we're lonely, if we're in any way uncomfortable, our decision-making faculties are affected. Isn't that a really weak thing to build a decision on? How hungry I was at the time of the decision? How angry or agitated or lonely or uncomfortable I might have been in that moment? It's crazy to think about how unpredictable and unreasonable we can be when we're unsettled. For example, I would, I would tend to be a fairly predictable person, right? I like routine. Those people who are closest to me would tell you that I enjoy things a certain way and I am, I am a predictable person. I also tend to be fairly reasonable. I don't make a lot of decisions based on emotion. Those who work closest with me would tell you that's the case. I tend to look for facts and numbers, and I want to know the bottom line, okay? In, an, in most environments, then, I am typically reasonable and predictable. But if you put me in a situation that challenges my comfort level on some of those things we just talked about, all bets are off. For example, I don't like tight, closed spaces. I hate them. I hate them. I refuse to sit in the back of those cargo vans, those 15 passenger vans. Can't do it because I'm not anywhere near a door, right? It is painful for me to sit in the back of a plane and stare at this long tube and just imagine in a crisis that I'm just going to die because there's no way I can get out. All these people are going to get in front of me, right? If, if you put me, for instance, in one of those cave tours, right? So just imagine that all of us were on a church retreat together and somebody had the, Tyler, we'll blame him, Tyler had the brilliant idea that we are going to go take a tour and all of us are going to go into a cave. And we all got our helmets on, I don't know why they did it, but we put helmets on and we start walking through the cave and we get to one of those tight caverns, right? Especially the ones we have to like turn sideways to like shimmy through. You know what I'm talking about? You put me in that environment and I'm going to throw elbows. I am not kidding. There is no more reason for me. I would be so uncomfortable, so agitated. I would be very unpredictable. 
right? My anxiety would be, would be pumping. There would be no talking me down off the ledge. I would run over old women to get out of that cave. I'm not even kidding. Leaving my children behind for some of you to pick up on the way out, right? Can you see how, how ridiculous it would be to build our lives and our decisions on something that is so unpredictable and so temporal and so unstable as those types of things. It's just foolishness. The, 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 the reality is, hear me out, your heart is not trustworthy. In fact, the Bible teaches us the opposite. Remember in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, if we remember the story of Genesis 6, that is the mention of the flood, right? And when God is considering his rebellious humanity, prior to the flood, we are told that the wickedness of man, because of their sin, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and the intention of their heart was only evil continually, that the intentions of their heart were evil. Sin has tainted our hearts. It has, it has destroyed and broken them. And God in his mercy gives us grace and redeems us, but the sin nature is still present with us. Or maybe, maybe you'll remember what Matthew said, or what, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 15 through 20. Jesus is uh, is talking to his disciples. And it's that passage where he says, it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles him. It's not, you remember the Pharisees had all kinds of really, uh, really consistent rules about what they could eat or drink or not eat or not drink. And the reason was because if they ate the wrong thing, they would be unholy. And Jesus says, look, it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles him. That simply just passes right through him. Verse 15, Peter said, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Jesus' statements to us about our hearts are that they are not a predictable mechanism for decision-making. They are predictable for leading you astray because out of our hearts comes all of that stuff. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks He teaches us, not only are our hearts not the seed of pure emotion and pure desires, they're actually warring against pure desires. According to Jesus, the heart is where the worst of us resides. So you can see why it probably would not be the wisest thing to just do what makes you happy in the moment, to pursue what we have determined to be a path for happiness. Haven't you noticed that your heart is almost always at odds with what you know to be the right thing to do? They choose the path of least resistance. Have you ever felt the conviction of the Lord in your life to do something he's prompting you to do and then spent the next week 
trying to talk yourself out of it? That's your heart. Telling you that this thing God wants you to do is not expedient, it won't be comfortable, it's not going to work. And and we come up with all kinds of reasons why we can disobey God and just do what's easy, comfortable, and what we want to do. Our hearts are almost always at odds with what we know to be the truth of the word of God. They choose the path of least resistance. They're not trustworthy. They choose the path of least resistance. A third thing I wanted to point out this morning is this sense that there are competing agendas. Another reason this piece of advice is so dangerous to us is that the agenda of our hearts is so diametrically opposed to the agenda or the plans and the purposes of God. You see, God... God has specific plans and specific purposes for our lives. And he might not tell you all the details of them. In fact, I would say that he won't let you know all the details of them. If he told you all the details, you wouldn't follow him. If he said to you, tomorrow you're going to find out you've lost your job. Tomorrow you're going to find out your dog ran away. It's like a country song. Tomorrow you're going to find out your, your wife doesn't love you anymore. Tomorrow you're going to find out you got cancer. Tomorrow you're gonna... If he told you what tomorrow held, you wouldn't go to tomorrow. Like, like, like Noah, you would, or Jonah, you would turn and run the other way. If you knew what was coming, you'd be so frightened that you would never go. But God does have plans and purposes for our lives. His agenda is set. His plan, his purposes are neither finished nor complete the moment we trust Christ to be our Savior. In fact, they, they're beginning there in the human experience. So what is God's plan for those of us who know him? For us who are walking as his disciples in this world? His plan for us is to sanctify us. To make us holy. You see, the church, the bride of Christ, is on a lifelong process of purification and sanctification. And that simply means that that God in his grace is working into us the righteousness of Christ. He looks at us as righteous. He declares us forgiven of sin and right with God. That's called justification. He justifies us freely by his grace and then spends the rest of our lives working into our lives in practical, real, discernible ways the righteous character of Jesus. The goal being that in the end, that the church This bride, pure and spotless, is going to be presented to her groom in radiant, blameless splendor. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us just this. And and all that that passage that is so powerful about husbands and wives and the call of God on the the marriage covenant. Here's here's what, what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that, verse 27, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the church, the bride, that she might be holy and without blemish. The work of Christ in his church is to purify his church, to sanctify his church, to make his church holy, to present to himself in radiance and blameless splendor. God's agenda 
is holiness and ours apparently is happiness. Those two things don't travel together well. They go in separate directions. And what ends up happening is we, we have set our sights on a lesser goal. We've set our sights on an easier to attain goal. We've set our sights on a weaker and more shallow goal. We just want to be happy. So when the path gets uncomfortable, we look for an easier route. And when the assignment we've been given feels unfavorable, we look for an exemption. And when the going gets tough, we get going the other way. And in the end, here's the great thing about God, in the end, you'll reach your goal. You'll grab hold of all the things you thought would satisfy you, and you will be woefully disappointed as you realize that you have settled for a cheap substitute for the treasures of God. And you might have everything you set your heart to and be empty inside, be broken and lonely and discouraged because you've traded the riches of heaven for a bowl of porridge, for a lesser treasure. You've traded the plan and purpose of God for something more manageable and more shallow. Our hearts are so naturally tuned to the agenda of happiness and God is so fiercely committed to his agenda of holiness, it is foolish for us to simply follow our hearts unquestioningly. So, number four. Is there a better guide than our hearts? Is there a better way to do this than simply following our hearts? And the answer is, of course there is. Of course there's a better way. God has provided a much better way, actually. And this better way is not a mystery. It's not hidden from us. He has revealed to us his will and his character and his nature. And he's revealed it in his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us to call to mind the things that he has taught us. So what is that better way? The better way is, through, is his Holy Spirit working in us through the word of God. That, that's the better way. We, we must not do what makes us happy. We must do what honors the Lord. That, that, that's the question. We have to recalibrate our hearts. We, we need to not be thinking, what's the easiest thing to do in this situation? Because the easiest thing always results in a mess. Any of you homeowners here? Right? So there are, there are times when something breaks at your house and what you really need to do is spend good money and fix it. And not try to limp along with menial repairs, but actually do the good hard work of fixing it. And if you try to get by with the path of least resistance, it might seal the gap for a moment. 
But in the next season, you're replacing the wood because it's rotted out. Which reminds me, my dishwasher is still leaking. <laughs> and right now, the easiest thing to do when I run the dishwasher is to just tuck a dish towel underneath the left corner because it catches all the, the water. I should probably go ahead and just replace the seal. Yeah, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> Preaching to myself here this morning. Because eventually my dishwasher is going to fall right through my kitchen floor into the basement. Right? We can, we can find a way to make this work for a while. But if we don't do the hard work of doing the job the right way, it'll cost us in the end. You try to get by without changing your tires, eventually you're going to slide off the road. You could try to get by without replacing your brakes. Eventually, they don't stop you anymore. We must do the hard work of the right thing instead of the easiest thing. We need to ask not what is most comfortable or what, and that's, that's our problem, right? We don't like the discomfort that, of, of what God is leading us to do. We don't want the discomfort. We want the comfortable thing. And so we start looking for all the ways we could bypass this difficult thing that we're supposed to do. And what we need to ask is not most comfortable. What we need to ask is, what is most honorable to the Lord? What does obedience and faithfulness to my Savior look like in this moment? And that's what we need to do. With all of our conviction, with all of our passion, with all of our hearts, do that with confidence that the Lord will empower us and sustain us. How is it possible that a young man or woman would keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, David says in Psalm 119. And as we give ourselves to knowing and understanding the will of God through the word of God, to hearing his voice, to learning his wisdom, an amazing thing begins to happen. Our minds are over time transformed. They are tuned away from the wisdom and the convictions of this world and are actually tuned toward the wisdom of God. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? Romans 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you know what that better guide is? Submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word, allowing the purity of his word to wash over us and have our minds transformed so that we start to interpret the world through a biblical lens. And we start to see our options through a biblical framework. And we start to make our decisions on a biblical foundation. And when we do that, spoiler alert, very, very rarely will that decision be what is easiest, most comfortable, or produces the most happiness, happiness in you. But it will produce joy and satisfaction because you were obedient to God and faithful to him. 
We are not to be conformed to this world. We're not just to swim along in the culture of this world. We're supposed to be living according to a different set of rules. Because the kingdom that we're part of is not like the kingdom of this world. And the rules of of this world don't necessarily apply to us in the same way. The rules of the heavenly kingdom do. So we're in it and not of it. We're not to have our minds transformed and conformed to the image of this world, but instead to be purified and conformed, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay. But what what does all that mean today? So what? So what? How how can I take that and and bring it into some kind of application today? Well, here, here are some review points that we need to think about. The first is this. Our hearts and our emotions are not reliable guides for us. They are too easily manipulated. They are too self-absorbed. They are too easily satisfied with the lesser treasures of comfort and ease. We cannot follow their lead unquestioningly. Let's say that again. Our hearts and our emotions are not reliable guides. They're too easily manipulated, they're too self-absorbed, and they're too easily satisfied with the lesser treasures of comfort and ease. We must not follow their lead unquestioningly. We should instead do something different. Number two, we must set our sights on a more worthwhile goal faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. We must, just like the Apostle Paul said, we must wrestle and contend with our desires, beating our bodies into submission, bringing our thoughts captive to Christ. The question is not what makes me happy. The question for the disciple of Jesus must be what honors the Lord here? What would please him? What would faithfulness look like in this decision and in this moment? And sometimes, as I was talking to a friend this week, sometimes our lives, and I'm a pretty black and white kind of person, you might know that about me, Um, most of our lives and our decision making happens somewhere in the middle in this gray area, which makes it hard for us black and white people to figure out what to do. What happens then? What happens when there's no Bible verse to look at to say, well, when faced with the decision of whether or not to cheat on this exam, I turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. No, it's not there, right? Well, in the gray areas, we need to trust the movement of the Spirit, who has this unique way of bringing to mind the things that we've studied, the things that we've memorized and hidden in our hearts, the things that we've heard and learned through the years. The Spirit does that, He reminds the disciples of the words of Jesus. He reminds them of the things he says. He he alerts us in our consciences and allows us to see the danger of these decisions. Number three, you know what happens as we seek to honor the Lord? As we pursue faithfulness and obedience? As we deny ourselves, as we submit to the Lord's leadership? Do you know what happens in those moments? Our emotions follow our will. Did you hear that? Your emotions will follow your will. Maybe not today. 
Maybe not in this moment. But in honoring the Lord and submitting to him, your heart, your emotions will fall in line behind your will. So when you don't feel like loving your wife sacrificially, I don't really care. Do what you're supposed to do. And let's be honest, gentlemen. There are like a million opportunities on a daily basis for us to choose to dishonor that commitment we've made. There are a lot of things that I'm, I'm, I should be doing to honor my wife that I don't necessarily want to do. I hate I hate yard work at my house, I'm not going to lie. I enjoy yard work at other people's houses, but I don't like it at my house. And yet to honor God and to serve my family, I do yard work. I don't like balancing my checkbook. I'm really bad at it. But it's a way that I serve my family, so I do it. I don't like fixing things like dishwashers, so I just shove a towel underneath, right? (laughs) There are a lot of things that we would not prefer to do that the calling of God on our lives requires. And something beautiful happens in the midst of all that. Our emotions are stirred because we get the satisfaction of knowing that we're being faithful to God in the little things. I told a spouse, back to that beginning chapter, or beginning illustration, I told the spouse that wanted to leave, I think you're making a horrible decision. I think you're stepping outside of the bounds of God's plan for your life. I think you are choosing to bear in your own body the, 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 the punishment and the consequences of your folly and foolishness. I think you should repent of sin and find yourself back under the authority of God's word and that will be the best place for you. And I believe if you would do that, I told them, if you would do that, then you would find Over time, your heart beginning to follow your will. And your affections for your spouse begin to grow again. Because our emotions will follow our will. Sometimes, when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like reading your Bible, you do it anyway. And sometimes, when you know the right thing and you don't want to do it, you just do it anyway. Because it honors the Lord, it's faithful to him, and in the end, the joy of obedience is better than the shallow treasure of comfort. Can we just agree on that? The joy of faithfulness to God is better than the shallow treasure of comfort. So in the strength of Christ, what does that mean? In his strength, and this is a little bit touchy, in his strength, will yourself to obedience to him. Make your body a slave. Beat it into submission by his grace and through his power. Seek his kingdom above all else. And maybe those promises would apply here too. Don't you think? As we prioritize the kingdom, all these things will be added to us. Maybe our emotions and our fickle hearts would follow as we pursue Jesus above all costs. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our time in the word today. And thank you for your wisdom. Lord, help us. Help us to stand against the wisdom of this world. Help us to not be so foolish as to just follow our hearts unquestioningly. But instead, God, give us passion and conviction to be students of the word, to allow your Holy Spirit free reign to move through our hearts with the word of God. 
Lord, I pray that we would commit ourselves to studying, to reading, to knowing, to understanding your word to us so that when we find ourselves in those decisions, Lord, we have an arsenal at hand to use. Lord, I pray for our congregation that we as a church body would make a determination to ask the simple question, what does faithfulness look like in this moment? Help us to reject comfort as a treasure, to reject happiness as a treasure and a goal. And instead, let us lean in to faithfulness, to obedience, to worship. What does it look like to honor you in this moment? And Lord, give us strength and courage to be faithful, whatever you lead us to. Lord, thank you for your wisdom that you've provided so liberally and freely. God, give us faithfulness to walk in it, we pray in Jesus' name.